You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey friends, Bart Campolo here to tell you that this week's episode of Humanize Me is sponsored by the Atlantic Monthly Magazine, and in particular, Atlantic.com which actually didn't give me any money to, for that plug. But what they did do this week, right now, if you go to Atlantic.com, there's this amazing article about secular community building um, and about kind of people who are either have come out of organized religions or who never were part of them banding together to pursue goodness in a collective way, which is what I talk about all the time. They have this great article about it centered around the Oasis Network which are these congregations that have sprung up in Houston and in Kansas City and in parts of Utah, and they're starting to happen other places. And it's this really wonderful movement. It's something I really believe in. I've spoken at Oasis. I'm friends with the leaders. Um, And I actually even get quoted in the article. Uh, Somebody lifted a quote from a talk I gave at an Oasis and put it in there, which was cool. What wasn't probably cool was that at the top of this beautiful article is a gloriously cool-looking picture of... Me. Even though I'm in the article for like one sentence, but they put my picture at the top of it like I am the subject of the article. And so I've been getting a lot of notes from people saying, hey, that's a great picture in the Atlantic. And I'm thinking, it shouldn't be there. I, I, I mean, I didn't even pose for it. Um, that, that's a picture they lifted from an article that was done on me in the Associated Press a year and a half ago when I was first getting established at USC. So I actually called Mike today and said, hey, I didn't mean to bogart your article with my picture. Um, And he laughed um, and suggested that perhaps it was just they were looking for the most handsome humanist they could find, which was a generous thing for him to say. Um, And yeah, if you want to see me looking kind of, you know, pretty cute, you should check out theatlantic.com. The article, if you want to actually read an article about me, there was an article about me last week in a much smaller publication Um, The Daily Trojan, which is the campus newspaper at USC, which is actually the article I was most excited about because they sent a reporter by and a guy named Justin Chapman, and he sat down with me and we really talked about what I'm trying to do at USA and the community that I'm trying to build there and the positive vibe that we're trying to create for, for people that want to pursue goodness in a kind of an intentional way. And uh, he published a really neat article with a picture right on the front page. You could find it at dailytrojan.com. It's on their website. But the cool thing about it is I think that that article is actually, it's not going to make me famous around the country, but it actually is drawing students to check out our community. And there are a lot of students at USC that still don't know that I'm there or that we exist or that there's something for them if they want to be part of a community that's pursuing goodness but doesn't have to believe some kind of supernatural narrative to get in and so it, it was a cool article I think it's going to draw a lot of people to us we had our first dinner last night and there were a bunch of students that came and said yeah I saw that article I thought I'd check it out so uh, thanks Justin and by the way Justin Chapman the guy who wrote the article you might want to Wikipedia him because before he was a graduate student at USC and a beat writer for the Daily Trojan he was a child actor who actually played Chuck Norris as a kid on the show Walker, Texas Ranger, which I think is actually a pretty badass claim to fame to say like, yeah, I grew up to be Chuck Norris. Um, 
so that, for, for what it's worth, I, like the, I think it's a cool thing and I think it's a cool article. And, um, you know, while we're talking about fellowship, I actually, this is probably not going to be the longest podcast in the world, which is good news to some, but there's this letter I got recently that sort of opened up an interesting conversation about not just how to create a fellowship, but what fellowship is for, why people that are pursuing goodness might want to intentionally get together and talk about that process. So I'm just going to read you the article and read you this letter I got uh, uh, last week and we'll see where it takes us. Hi, Bart. Thanks you again for your podcasts and your message. I enjoy listening to you, even with all your ums and likes, which is saying something, unfortunately. Um, I'm writing today to vent a little about my mother-in-law. And I hope it is okay to use you as a sounding board here. We currently live in Minnesota and we've been looking to relocate closer to family, but it was dependent on a relevant job opening for my wife. I work from home so I can go anywhere. About eight years ago, my wife applied for a position in Illinois that would have been perfect, but she just missed out and they selected an, an internal candidate instead. Early this year, the company reached out to her to let her know the position was opening again and asked her to apply, which she did. We waited and waited, only to be informed that they'd pulled the position to, re to relist it, so she had to reapply all over again. Still, we knew she was in the running, so we put our lives on hold in the hopes that this would come through. And in the end, it did. Our families and friends were informed of the process throughout, so last night, when we finally announced that we were moving, there were lots of congratulations and you'll be missed responses. Then my mother-in-law posted this one. We have prayed for a long time that Anne and Mike and Luke and Jonah would be able to move closer. We just had to be patient and wait for God's timing. Looking forward to making more memories. I'm fine with my mother-in-law having her beliefs, this guy writes. They are hers. But this really bothered me for some reason. All I can think of is how much work my wife put in to get that job and how many adjustments it's taken for us to make this move happen. And here is this message that attributes it all to God. I appreciate the sentiment of making more memories, but that post just feels demeaning to me. I plan to let it roll off because I feel like I'm making it out in my head to be bigger than it is, but I really needed to get these thoughts down and I hope you don't mind me sending them your way. Of course, the downside of moving closer to home is that it's going to be tougher to keep our kids from being indoctrinated by their grandparents. I'm going to have to be vigilant in how I handle things also because I don't want to create rifts where none need be. Thanks for listening. Your friend in Minnesota. Mike. Wow. You know, I, I ended up writing back to Mike and saying, hey man, I got one big word for you. Yes. Yes. That kind of attribution is really frustrating. It's terrifically frustrating. I mean, when you, when, when you get something like that, that gives all the praise to God, it feels like, you know, for Mike, it feels like his mother-in-law is deluded in a way that means she really doesn't see the world. And in particular, she doesn't really see him and his wife as they really are. In a very real sense, 
at certain times in certain ways, they're invisible to her. And that's really painful. I think that that's kind of what he's writing about is that she doesn't see how things are. She doesn't see what we did. She doesn't give us the credit for all the work that we're doing to be close to her. And, and that is, it's really hard. I think when you're in relationship with a believer, sometimes it, it feels like you're in two different worlds and the same phenomenon get interpreted so differently that you can feel overlooked or you can feel discounted. Um, and that's hard. It's hard when you love somebody and they, they seem not to know you or understand you for how you really are or, or, not, or, or, or the world or what's happened to you for what it really is. Um, the other, I said, yes, yes, that's frustrating. And yes, you really should let it go. I mean, I think he's right to sort of let it roll off his back. Um, this isn't an act of will after all. His mother really does believe that her prayers and her God are ultimately responsible for all of his work and his wife's work and their good fortune. Um, and that's frustrating. But it doesn't rise to the level of offense that he needs to confront her. He doesn't need to embarrass her in front of her friends. He doesn't need to post something that says, this is ridiculous. I think he's wise to let it go. But he's also wise to recognize that as he moves closer to his family, he's going to be in her presence, in his in-law's presence. And his kids are too. And things like this are going to be said in everyday conversation. And the question is, how do you be prepared? He says he has to be vigilant. I would say quoting the Boy Scouts, he has to be prepared. How do you prepare for that? Um, when I was living in, in Philadelphia and Cincinnati, when I was spending most of my time working with poor people in inner city neighborhoods, the neighbors that I was in, there were always people asking for money, always people hitting you up for a dollar, begging, looking for money. And I think here in LA, it's, it's everywhere too. And it used to just create this huge emotional dilemma for me where every time somebody would ask me for money, I would do this evaluation of, well, do they look like they really need it? And is it is the money going to go for drugs? And maybe I should stop and actually buy them food instead. And But is that patronizing? And I would go through the same kind of rigmarole over and over again. And it was exhausting. Until finally a friend of mine said, listen, man, you need to sit down and figure out what your standard stock response to that is. Like take some time, do the research, figure out what you think, not in the moment, but out of the moment, what you think is the right response to a panhandler or what you think the right response is to a beggar. And then make that your response every time so that you don't have to think about it. And I did that. Eventually, I figured out that at least for me, in general, it didn't make sense to give away money that way. It made more sense for me to take my money, the money I was going to give to the problem of homelessness, and address it to the local um, soup kitchen in our neighborhood that addressed those things and to really pursue that and to make sure that when I saw a panhandler in my neighborhood that they knew where that was. They knew where help could be got. Um, but the other thing, after talking to some people who had been in that situation, they said that the hardest part of it was 
is it wasn't that people said no, but that people ignored them and treated them like they didn't exist. Again, like they were invisible. And so one of my resolutions is that I would always stop and smile and make eye contact and say, I'm really sorry, but I don't have any money for you today. I didn't want to lie because it, it sort of rankles me if I unnecessary lying just is it just undermines my sense of self. And so instead of saying I don't have any money or I'm sorry, I, I got no change today, I would say I don't have any money for you today, which is true. I didn't have any money for them. I had not set aside money for them. I say I don't have any money for you today. But, you know, in some cases, depending on what the look was, if I felt like they didn't know, sometimes I would stop and say, but I do know a place where you can get food. Um, it's just around the corner. Are you aware of this? And sometimes that would lead to a conversation that go like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know those people. They're good people. And we would end up having a, a sort of a human moment. And sometimes people would say like, ah, fuck you. Like, like they weren't really looking for my input. And sometimes I learned to spot how that would work. And I would just say, I'm sorry, I don't have any money for you today. And a lot of times the panhandler would look back and they would nod or they would smile or they'd say, all right. But I felt like it was a, it was a more humane way of dealing with it. Um, and in my present life as a secular humanist, I feel like it's the same way that there are certain encounters in life that you can predict you're going to have over and over again. And for like my friend, Mike, his mom over and over again is going to give God credit for things in a way that just drives him crazy. And so I think he's got to, he's got to figure out a standard, comfortable, loving response to those comments, especially when they involve his kids. Because sometimes she's going to say things about the, the, the kid will have a problem. She'll say, oh, God's going to take care of you. Or like, I'm praying for you, so it's going to be all right. Or whatever it is that she says. And, and so He's got to figure out how he responds to that. And that, my friends, you say, well, well what should he say? And I'm, I'm not going to tell you. That's where a good fellowship comes in. That's, that's when you sit around with a couple of beers late at night and you say like, okay, there's, I got a problem. What do you guys think I should do in this situation? And you sit around with some friends who share your worldview but also share your commitment to be a loving person. Share your commitment to not be a, a basher. Um, understand why you want to be on good terms with your Christian family members or your friends and help you construct a way of responding that's both authentic and kind. And so, you know, in this case, I, I mean, I, I, I was thinking that, you know, one of the things I hear all the time is, oh, everything happens for a reason. God's going to take care of you. It's all part of the plan. You know, Christian people sometimes say that, and it, and it comes naturally to them to say that. But man, it can be frustrating. And so I think that sometimes, you know, you have to find a way of, of saying, you know, Mom, I, I think if I, if I was as confident as you are that there's somebody in charge of things, I might think the same way. But, you know, for me, I, I just, I, you know, I don't see the evidence of that. So I always figure that if there's going to be justice in the world, we're the ones that are going to have to make it. Now, I'm not saying that's a perfect response, but I'm saying that's something I've said to people over and over again. Just for saying, yeah, you know, I think if I saw the world the way that you do, I'd respond the way you are. 
but to me, it really seems very different. Or sometimes I'll say like, yeah, I've never, you know, for the past few years, I haven't been able to believe that there's anybody in control. There's too much happening out there that seems out of control to me. But I appreciate, um, I appreciate your desire to be a comfort. And uh, for me, the only comfort is the knowledge that a lot of times people can work together to make things better. Again, I'm not telling you that I have these. I didn't, I didn't sit down and prepare brilliant responses to these things right now. What I'm saying is, is that's what fellowship is for. It's when a bunch of people get together and constructively try to help each other figure out how do we respond? Because the way you respond to one relative and the way you respond to another relative, depending on the relationship, depending on your situation, depending on the finances, there are all sorts of things that sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll say, yeah, we, this maybe isn't the time for you to assert to your parents who are paying your tuition and who've told you they will cut you off if you do not believe in God. This, there may be a way that you can authentically respond without getting in their face about your lack of faith. I mean, there's a time and a place and that's all I'm saying is that's what I think fellowship is for. And that's why when people say, well, why? I'm, I don't know, man. I, I don't need a group. I don't want to be part of an organized religious kind of thing. I just want to be my, you know, be on my own. I'm like, good luck for you being on your own if you're trying to be loving. Good luck for you being on your own if you want to make a difference in other people's lives because you think that's part of being a human being. Good luck for you in, in maintaining difficult relationships because in my experience, it doesn't just take a village to raise a child. It takes a village to help me get through the week. I need support. I need ideas. I need input. I find that when two or three people are kick around an idea, we end up coming up with a more thoughtful response. Somebody says, oh yeah, but what about this? And I go like, yeah, I never thought of that. And uh, so when I'm writing a difficult letter, I always run a draft by a few people and say, how would you read this? How, how would you think about this? Um, and so, you know, when somebody says, oh, praise the Lord and gives God the credit for stuff that you don't think, that, that make you feel invisible and you don't think is true, and I think, you know, there's something where you say like, you know what, you, you could praise God for that. For me, I'm, I'm really grateful for Mary for doing the hard work. I mean, that's, that's the person that I want to thank. Thanks, Mary. Um, there are ways of gently setting yourself apart that aren't about saying you're stupid or you're wrong, but that are just about saying there's another way of looking at the world. There's another way of being a good person. Frankly, my experience is that, you know, the backfire effect says that when you directly attack somebody's beliefs, even if it's an erroneous belief, it just makes them defensive and they just double down on it. But actually, strategically, if you really wanted to draw somebody away from that belief, you'd be better off just presenting an alternative that's more plausible and instead of attacking whatever they're holding on to. But I think, you know, Mike's not asking, how can I convert my mother-in-law? He probably knows that that's a bridge too far, but I think he's asking, how do I create an environment in our family where my kids grow up recognizing that just because grandma says it, it's not the way we all think, but they recognize like, it's okay to think differently from grandma. You can still love grandma and you don't have to attack grandma. I guess that's the one thing I would say no to Mike on. No, you don't need to worry about your kids as much as you think. 
I mean, you want to set a good environment. You want to be a, an, an example of warmth and kindness across different worldviews. But the truth of the matter is, is that for better or worse, Mike and his wife are going to be the biggest influence on their kids. Um, and their grandparents, their grandparents, I mean, they're going to be hopefully supportive and caring and all these kind of good things in their kids' lives. But in terms of the way the kids end up seeing the world, in terms of their worldview, um, especially when the kids are younger, uh, Mike and his wife are going to be the biggest influence. So even as they move closer to family, I think what they want to do is they want to model for their kids how to how, how to generously respond to the believing world rather than being terrified that the believing world is going to overwhelm their kids. It's, it's just not you know, a good, a good family psychologist will say, it's just not the thing to be worried about right now. And a lot of times when we're afraid of something is when we respond defensively or angrily or harshly. And so Mike, I want to say to you, I dial down the fear and your chances of not just speaking kindly, but speaking authentically. Because in, it isn't authentic for you to be attacking. It's not who you really are. And so you don't want your fear to overwhelm you in that moment and cause you to say something that isn't as cool as you are. Yeah, so I guess that's the message of today's podcast. Is my friends, there are a lot of us that are trying to carve out a way of life that says, if this life is the only one we have, let's make the most of it. And the way to do that is by loving one another, is by pursuing social justice, is by cultivating our sense of gratitude for the privilege of being alive. And that's all great stuff. But I guess what I'm going to say is, if you value those things, nobody lives up to their values alone. I, you could value exercise all you want, but unless you get a workout buddy or join a gym or get become part of some group, very few of us are able to, to, to live up to our value of health without being in a supportive environment. Anybody that's tried to quit smoking, it's very hard to quit smoking unless you're surrounded by people that are affirming that value and doing it with you. We are a pack animal and we, we grow collectively. And so I guess what I'm saying is, is I'm glad you listened to this podcast, but this podcast doesn't know your mother-in-law. And this podcast doesn't know your brother Vinny. And this podcast doesn't know the particularities of your situation. And so you probably need to find, figure out a way, and we'll keep talking about this. How do you find those people who you can say, hey, once a month or one, you know, like every couple of weeks, let's get together and let's have a targeted conversation or, or let's have a focused conversation where we talk about our lives and we try to help each other live them better. All right, that's it for me today. Um, next time I'll be back with the conversation. It'll be longer, but for, for now, I just wanted to, to throw that idea out there. And all I can say is, is that if you have other, if you have feedback, Go to barcampolo.org. Send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. If you got something like what John's dealing with, send it to me. Like he said, like, oh, I hope you don't mind me using you as a sounding board. I love it when people use me as a sounding board. Um, the other thing you can find at barcampolo.org is the whole thing about my counseling and coaching stuff. And that's just me getting into relationships with individual folks that are working through stuff and, um, and working it through with them. 
And so if you're interested in that, check that out. Um, check out the article in the Atlantic. It's amazing about Oasis. Check out the article in the Daily Trojan. It's it's me. Um, and yeah, I guess the message of today's podcast is, all right, all us humanist scouts, um, we got to be prepared. Actually, we got to be together so that we can be prepared. And that's a good way to say, catch you next time. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org.